0: Good morning again. Hey, was that youth, youth worship leadership beautiful or what this morning, huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and Ari's been fighting through a cold, and so she pushed through this morning and led us in a beautiful way. And I just want you to know that in two weeks, uh, this youth band has been given an, an amazing honor. They're going to be going up to Hume Lake to attend what's called the Ascend Conference. And that's a conference for youth bands all, or, all, all over the West Coast. They come to Hume and uh, Ascend asked this youth band if they would be on the platform and join the professionals who are going to be up there and be coached by them. So that is a great honor, and that belongs to them. And they worked hard, hard to get to that place. So very exciting. Two Sundays from now. Very cool. Well, are you ready to enjoy the word? See what God has for us today. Well, let's take our Bibles then, and let's head for the book of First Peter chapter 3 this morning. Grab that note page from your bulletin if you would, and I would really ask you to do that uh, because that will be, I think, a great help along the way today. If you need a Bible, you got out of the house without your Bible today, just let us know. We've got copies in the back just for you. And church family, one of the most deeply held values that we have here at IBC is that the Word of God is just that. It is the Word of God. And so it becomes the final authority for us here who call this place home, the final authority for us in all matters of life and faith. We put the word Bible in our name. It is so central to who we are. And if the Bible says it, then we seek to say it, and hopefully we seek to live it out. Now, this value that we hold, our strong conviction about the place the Bible has in our life, gets put to the test whenever what God says runs strongly in the opposite direction of what our culture might be saying or doing. And especially does our conviction about the word of God get put to the test when the culture is saying and doing things that the church Sometimes unwittingly begins to embrace and accept. Then we have sometimes some pretty hard collisions. That may prove to be true today, church family, as we take up the topic this morning of modesty. Modesty in how we dress and in our appearance as those who follow the Lord Jesus. And some of you might be saying, well, that ship sailed a long do- time ago for me, so this isn't, this isn't for me. No, modesty really does reach into your life today, and I think you will sense that as we move along. We live in a culture, church family, that in so many ways has lost respect for this virtue and has done so in the name of personal freedom and has abandoned really almost all restraint when it comes to this thing called modesty. For many in our culture today, the rule seems to be that the more attention that I can get by how I look or by what I wear or by what I don't wear, the better it is. Modesty is missing. And I think we would mostly all agree with that. Now, what we're doing, uh, as you know if you're a regular part of our church family, but our visitors might not know, is that we're simply continuing this morning with our study series through the book of 1 Peter called Exiles. And this is why I really like book series studies, because when we come onto a passage that presses hard into a certain topic that isn't easy, or we swim upstream to the prevailing cultural attitudes and practices that that we live with, then I can't be accused of, of having climbed onto my own little personal hobby horse and forcing you to ride along with me. We're just doing what the Word says next in our series, so so I can't be charged with picking on you this morning uh, in some particular arena of modesty, because I'm not doing that. I'm simply asking us to step into the word and take what comes next. So I like that thought. We're just now taking up the, 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 the verses out of 1 Peter chapter 3 that uh, have come into our view. And so really, as we step into this moment, all of us need to say, Am I ready? Am I really ready to hear what God wants to say to me today? Through his word, not what Tim is going to say, but what does God want to say to me through his word? We're presently in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. In fact, we have been here now, if you've been with us, for two Sundays, and we've unpacked these these verses pretty well. We've spent two full mornings unloading these verses. They're part, as you know, of a larger subject that Peter has has had us thinking about now for several weeks, ever since we were in the middle of chapter 2. Namely, how do we live out our faith in Jesus so conspicuously that we bear witness of him with our lives, even if we never get to name his name? Peter's writing to Christians who are living in a time and in a culture that is not friendly at all to Christianity, to the claims of one God, one Savior, and one way to God through faith in Jesus alone. That culture that Peter lived in wanted nothing to do with that. Our culture is becoming increasingly like Peter's first century culture. And Peter says people are going to have to see Jesus in you before they ever hear about him from you. That's basically what starts That's what Peter says beginning in the middle of chapter 2. And so we've kind of given this whole section uh, a cover title, Evangelism That Doesn't Look Like Evangelism. Evangelism by life and not so much by my words. Of course, I do need to be able to tell someone what Jesus has done for me and what he can do for them. But until I get that opportunity, I must be living out his life, his values, his character in my life every day, conspicuously. So Peter, in chapter 2, opened up our thinking as to how we are living for Jesus, first of all in our personal life, and then in our civic life, and then in our vocational life. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, He says, how are you living out, Jesus, in your marriage? And in fact, what he steps into here is the thought of a Christian wife living with an unbelieving husband or a Christian husband who is living with an unbelieving wife. And that's right where we are in this moment. Chapter 3, verse 1. I'll invite you to follow along. We'll put it up on the screen for you also. Peter writes, likewise, wives, Christian wives in this case, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So evangelism that doesn't look like evangelism. Words aren't being shared, but the gospel is being communicated through life. Verse 3. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, Christian husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We'll stop right there. Now, as I said, we have worked through these verses already, and we could, we really could just move on now Step into verses 8 through 12 and keep on going, which is is what the plan will be, Lord willing, next week. That's what we'll do. But I have let you know in the last couple of weeks that we have an opportunity to think about yet another form of evangelism that doesn't look like evangelism. And I said we would be calling it modesty evangelism. We find this topic waiting for us in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3. And where this might take us, church family, may not be easy for some. How does a first century Christian woman who longs to love Jesus live rightly and think rightly and carry herself rightly and biblically and in a God-honoring way, in a culture that cares nothing about Jesus and sees women mostly as objects. A culture obsessed with sensual and sexual issues as reflected in the Greco-Roman writings of, of the first century and in the artwork and the statues of Peter's time. How does a Christian man in the first century, committed to Jesus, think and dress in his culture, that idealized the male human form, smooth and chiseled and perfected, seductively posed with half-clad women adoring him. That's how they're portrayed in the artwork and in the statuary of the time. And how do Christian men and women and young people living in the 21st century, in a morally confused, sexually saturated, openly promiscuous Fashion-conscious, label-flashing, designer-driven, tattoo-crazed, body-modifying, body-enhancing culture. How do Christians live for Jesus? How do we live biblically for the Lord, for our God and our Savior, when this is the culture that surrounds us? That's what we want to talk about. Christians in that arena. Church family, though written originally to Christian wives, married to unbelieving husbands, what Peter writes in verses 3 and 4 holds truths, principles that can be rightly applied to men and women, married and single, and to Christian teens. The application is broad, even though the focus in the moment in that text is very direct. And what these verses say lead us to other places in God's word that help us with the very honest, very relevant questions that we have about Christian modesty and how that gets applied to our dress and and our tattooing and our body piercing and our body enhancement thoughts. Verse 3 and 4. One more time, do not, Peter says, let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The word adorning shows up twice here in these two verses. It, it means source of beauty or source of worth, source of value, source of identity. Let the true source of your beauty, Christian, the true source of your identity, not be external, but internal, the hidden person of the heart. We want to know what that means. Now, before we get to that spot, on your note page, let's first define Christian modesty. What what do we mean when we say that? Well, let's define it this way together. Christian modesty, you see it there on the page. It's up on the screen. Christian modesty is that virtue which brings glory to God and shows love for others through what one wears or does to his or her body. That's how we're going to use this term, Christian modesty. What do we wear, and what do we do with our bodies in such a way that God gets glorified and people are loved in the best possible way? Christian modesty. Whether we realize it or not, we are all almost always attempting to bring glory to someone. Would you agree with that? We, we are. Sometimes it's God. Sometimes it's not God. Through our clothing, we may be drawing attention to ourselves or we, we might be drawing attention to God. Through our tats, through our piercings, our enhancements, Someone is getting glory. The question is, who? Who's getting glory? The ultimate goal of Christian modesty by this this definition that we're embracing is to bring glory to God and to love others well by the way that we dress and by the way we adorn our bodies. The heart of immodesty? is adorning ourselves in such a way that we, we actually steal glory for ourselves. Immodesty wants to be noticed by others with little or no regard for what that might do to God or how that might impact other people. Now, from verses 3 and 4 and many other companion verses, there are at least three truths that directly relate to how we understand the place of modesty in our own Christian lives. So from verse 3 comes the first of these truths, and it is this truth. We are all tempted to want to be noticed or accepted or included. Let me just ask, do you agree with that statement? Yeah, you do? Okay, that that helps us. We, We agree with that. We are all tempted... To want to be noticed or accepted or included. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to give in to that temptation, but we are all tempted in this way. We are all born with a sin nature that likes to be noticed, to be the center of attention, to be affirmed, to be attractive in the eyes of other people seen that way. All we have to do to prove that that is true is to poke our heads into the nursery. Right now, and we will know how important it is to be noticed, because even those little guys you don 't have to train them, they already want to be what noticed they want to be the center of attention, they want to be seen, they want to be noticed. we like to be noticed, we come by it naturally as a far, uh, as a as a function of our own fallenness. Peter writes to first century. Wives, in verse 3, and he says, Do not let your adorning, the source of your beauty, the source of your identity, be external or superficial, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Now, why, church family, does the Holy Spirit need to say that? It's because that's the temptation, isn't it? That's the temptation. The Roman world rivaled our own in terms of designer fashion and jewelry and such. They had their own Armani, their own Calvin Klein, their own Ralph Lauren. Ancient artwork shows very elaborate hairdos on the part of the women, elaborate makeup and, and, and jewelry, very expensive jewelry. And, and all of this, it communicated. It communicated in powerful ways. It communicated status and place, and wealth, and desirability, and sensuality. How a woman adorned herself could send a host of messages. Other women knew that. Men noticed that. The attention was very nice, was very affirming, and it could open doors and get you into circles that everybody else wanted to be in. All of it rather tempting. Even for the Christian. So, what does Peter say to these Christian women when the culture is so focused on the externals? Well, maybe the first thing we should do is is observe what he doesn't say. In verse 3, he does not say, never braid your hair, never wear gold jewelry. Otherwise, he'd also be saying, don't wear any clothes. Right? If you're going to carry that through. We know that's not what he's saying. That's not a blanket prohibition against these things. Although there are some religious groups that take this passage, this verse, and they apply it this way. Never do anything fancy with your hair. Never wear jewelry. Always wear really baggy clothes that don't draw any attention to you. What he's telling these women is that they need to guard themselves against letting their adorning be only external. He's telling them not to make the first and best quality of their beauty through mere physical adornment, hair and makeup and nails and jewelry and clothes. These are not bad. These are not evil things in themselves, but they can become the way to to garner attention to, to be affirmed, to get noticed, to be accepted, to be included. They be, can become the primary source of our beauty, the main source of our identity, what we're known and remembered for. These things can help get us noticed, help get us in. And Peter is saying, it's not wrong to care about your physical appearance or to want to be pretty or to want to be handsome. But don't let that be where it stops for you. I mean, God is the inventor of beauty, right? I mean, he made this thing called beauty. He loves beauty. He has made us so that we can appreciate beauty. The Bible notes the beautiful appearance of women many times in Scripture. Sarah and Abigail and and Rebecca and Tamar and and Esther. And in fact, the whole book of, of the Song of Solomon celebrates female physical attraction. So the Bible's not prudish. It's not out of touch. It's not backwards. It's not ashamed of external beauty. It notes it. It just doesn't idolize it and make it the end game in the way that our culture does that. Brothers and sisters, on some level, each of us face this temptation to be noticed. Valued, included, remembered, looking to outward appearance to achieve this. James chapter 1, verse 14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his what? Desire. His own desires. Yeah. And if we give in to this temptation, we begin to act on it. And when we act on it, it can have a powerful blinding influence and effect on us. It's very easy to become enslaved to this thing and believe that our worth and our value are found in our appearance. And before we know it, it becomes all about that. Looking a certain way in order to achieve a certain end. To be noticed, to be accepted. Physical appearance becomes the thing using all means available to draw attention to oneself. Christian modesty, remember the definition again, moves in an entirely different direction. It wants to bring glory to God and show love to others through what we wear and what we do with our bodies. So the second truth here, modesty wants God to be noticed. Would you agree with that? Yeah? Okay, good. But but living every day in a culture obsessed with external appearance as we do, a Christian can lose sight of that truth, that modesty wants God to be noticed, not me. Prompting the Holy Spirit through Peter to say this in verse 4, but let your adorning Christian man, Christian woman, Young person, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is what? Very precious. precious. Now, again, the immediate context here is a Christian wife, but the application is broad, extending to all Christian women, all Christian men, and young people too. The Christian has experienced a transformation of their entire life, their being through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for them, his resurrection that gives them a new life in him. A Christian has a brand new identity, a brand new worth, a brand new value, a brand new beauty based on a brand new personal, very real relationship with the living God. You've experienced that, right? You've experienced this brand new. Life in Jesus. Hopefully, that has happened for you. It can if it hasn't yet. And so now, the real adorning for the Christian woman, man, or teen is no longer something merely external in verse 3, but it is something now that has become internal. The hidden person of the heart has an imperishable beauty. Real beauty, imperishable beauty is non-physical, says Peter. It has nothing to do with our our weight or our height or our hair color or our shape or our face or our body. And how freeing is that, Christian? That, That our beauty really doesn't have anything to do with any of that. Though our culture says it has everything to do with that. How freeing that should be for us. Totally runs in the opposite direction of what what we get pounded with every single day. And note the words, very precious. Though God invented and appreciates physical, external beauty, he clearly does. He values internal beauty infinitely more. First Samuel sixteen seven, a verse that many of you would know. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the what, church? Outward. The outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. There's nothing that God values more than godly character. His own godly attributes being displayed in the lives of his people. This godly character showcases the traits that only he can give. And what when he gives it, then who gets the glory for it? God does, not us. God gets noticed. And Christian modesty, again, it's all about that. God being noticed, not us. In a parallel passage to Peter's verse 4, The Apostle Paul writes these words out of 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. Likewise also, women should adorn, there's that word, adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty, Ah, there's that word, and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess what? Godly character. And that manifests itself in good works. Paul says this is the truest. This is the the best beauty. The truest and best kind of beauty is displayed, not through clothes or external physical things, but through godly character traits. Peter mentions just two in verse 4, gentleness and a quiet spirit, but the list is a whole lot longer than that, right? In Galatians chapter 5, we get a great list. Chapter... 5 verses 22 and 23. The inner beauty of any Christian man or woman. What does it look like? Well, it looks like the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are beautiful to God. Or out of Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 and following, Paul says, put on. In fact, he actually draws upon the imagery of getting dressed. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. And above all these, put on what church? Love which binds everything else together in perfect harmony. And there are many such passages and lists like this that describe the beauty that God loves to see. Again, because it is this that brings glory to him. It's his work in us that flows out of us and others see and they experience this. And it pleases him immensely, Peter says. We're drawn to the outside. We judge a book by its cover, a movie by its poster, a woman by her appearance, a man by his build. But God cares so much more for what's on the inside. Do you believe it, church? do you let me highlight two other things Peter's saying in verse 4 that that may not be readily apparent the first thing is this the most stunning external beauty the most arrestingly handsome physique is actually ugliness being disguised if there's no godliness if there's no internal transformation of the heart through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not how our world thinks. And often it's not how we think either. We're enamored often by external physical appearance if we're honest. But God is not impressed by a beautiful gal or a buff guy whose external adorning makes them beautiful by the culture standards, but they have an unbelieving heart. That does not impress God. He doesn't think that's, that's something. And every heart, church family, that has not been transformed, remade by grace through faith in the saving blood of Jesus and his resurrection is in fact An ugly heart. Would you agree with that? It's an ugly heart. In fact, the Bible would go so far to say it's a dead heart. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The best, truest, and rarest beauty flows out of godly character no matter what the outside looks like. And that's what Peter is saying. We are so easily distracted and fooled by the external, but God is not. He sees the inside. Now the second thing is that these external qualities that look so attractive are at the very best, the very best, only temporary qualities. Agreed? A woman may be crazy beautiful right now, externally, but we all know It doesn't last, right? We all know that? It doesn't last. Birthdays will inevitably, inexorably take their toll on external beauty, right? Yeah? And then what? And then what? If that woman never falls at the foot of the cross, then there becomes not only uh, an outward wrinkled lady, who's no longer deemed beautiful by the culture, but she's also ugly on the inside because her heart was never changed. And a man might be the studliest of the studly in his young age, but he cannot escape the slow march of time. And inevitably, studs turn into wrinkle old men. Something to look forward to. Right, guys? (laughs) And then what do you have? You have a wrinkled old man on the outside who is ugly on the inside because he never fell at the foot of the cross. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Highly valued. Christian modesty pursues what is permanent. Not what is temporary. It's an imperishable beauty. External beauty, it's not bad. It just doesn't last very long. It will inevitably fade away and be gone. But inner beauty lasts through good times and, and hard times. It, it lasts through through young age and on into old age. And, and then it it goes on and on and on and on after that because it's the real beauty. So here is a defining question for all of us in this room this morning. When it comes right down to it, do I dress? Do I tat? Do I pierce? Do I sculpt? So that I will be noticed and accepted. Or so that God in me will be noticed. Boy, that's that's it, isn't it? That's where the truth meets the road. This is the crucial difference between modesty and immodesty. One wants me to be noticed. The other wants God to be noticed. Now, if you flip your note page over, at the top of the page... Here's one of the most on-point verses for directing any Christian when it comes to what we wear and what we do with our physical appearance. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. It's all about Him. It's not about us. Do It all so that God gets noticed. Not a bad verse to memorize, right? And short, too. And oh, brothers and sisters, may it be a verse that not only do we memorize, but we we believe it and we live it out. But Peter's not done with us yet because there's one more truth tied to this issue of Christian modesty, and, and that's also there on your page, and that is that the very best kind of modesty is gospel-motivated modesty. It has eternity-changing thoughts associated with it. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Remember it? Likewise, Christian wife, be subject to your unbelieving husband, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be what? One. One, without a word, by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure Conduct. Peter assures the women he's writing to that modesty really does matter because when it flows out of a transformed life, it has evangelistic potential. It becomes evangelism that doesn't look like evangelism. These wives can be living witnesses of God's grace, His loving power that saves sinners. Their husbands will see this inner beauty and perhaps be drawn to seriously consider Jesus. Their Christian character is on display. Their internal beauty is on display. And that's what Peter cares about. That's what the Holy Spirit cares about here. And again, it's not that, that these wives give no care whatsoever to their physical appearance and try to look as frumpy as possible because they're Christians. Try to be so modest that they actually draw attention to themselves. That can be just as distracting and me focused as immodesty, right? Right? They want to draw attention to God by defining beauty in their lives primarily in relationship to who they are inwardly, not what they look like outwardly. Now, we do need to be careful not to make Peter say more than he means to say here. No one is going to become a Christian simply because we dress modestly. Agreed? Agreed? No, that's not how salvation works. What Peter wants us to know is that we can either complement or we can contradict the message of a saving God by the way that we behave and by the way that we outwardly adorn ourselves. Let me give you an illustration of this. If I got up here on a Sunday morning and I dressed in really tight black leather pants... And super expensive uh, alligator skin cowboy boots. And I wore a silk shirt with puffy sleeves and, and big lapels. And I had it unbuttoned down to here. And I had a big gold, you're, you're just picturing this, aren't you? A big gold chain hanging around my neck with a giant golden cross kind of nestled into my chest hairs, Right? And I say to you, follow Jesus. It's all about Him. There's going to be a serious disconnect. A distraction distraction for sure. (laughs) Because with my words, I'm saying, look to Jesus. While with my outward attire, I am saying, look at me. Oh, look at me. Dressing immodestly <clears throat> pushes us to the front and the message of Jesus to the back. Dressing modestly pushes us into the background and pushes the message into the foreground. And so I hope, church family, that, that I never dress in such a way that you're, you're drawn to me or to my appearance if that happens I hope you tell me Oh, well, Lisa will tell me but you can tell me too <laughs> well since she dresses me it's never going to happen I'm, I'm good Christian modesty is gospel motivated are we hearing that it's gospel motivated. It longs to see God glorified, those around us knowing, noticing him, not noticing us and others being loved well by, by making Jesus the main thing. His character flowing ever more freely out of my life so that some might say, what do you have that I don't have? I want that. Now, that said, as you see there on your note page, I've assembled some questions to help us when confronted with modesty-related issues. Sometimes we can avoid the hazards of our immodest culture just by asking really good questions. So here are some. What is my motivation for wearing this or getting that tattoo or piercing or body modification? What's my real motive for doing that? That is a great question that we should ask. Because it's so easy to talk ourselves into anything that we really want to do. If we push it hard enough, we can make it work, can't we? We do that. I had an old seminary professor who, who used to say, Gentlemen, never underestimate your ability to rationalize. And he was so right. What's really behind this adornment that I'm thinking about getting or doing? Me being noticed or him being noticed? Proverbs 16.2, all a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Boy, we need to remember that. Am I trying to find my identity in my culture? brothers and sisters if we are truly followers of jesus this world isn't our home anymore is it this culture isn't isn't right in the script for us anymore and nothing that it offers is ever going to really satisf- satisfy us so why should we try to fulfill its expectations with our outward appearance it's not our home colossians 3:3 you died to this life and your real life is hidden with christ is that true for you yeah then then why bother with trying to meet the culture's expectations just be you in jesus and a third question am i wearing this or doing this as an act of defiance now this question i mostly put here uh, for the young people in our church family who are still living at home the lord is not going to bless your life i want to tell you this i want you to listen to this Is not going to bless your life if your parents are prohibiting you from some form of dress or adornment for whatever reason they have and you you say, forget that. Forget you, Mom and Dad. I want to wear that. I want to get that tat, that pierce, whatever it is. And I'm going to do it. You will not have your Heavenly Father's favor or blessing If you defy your parents. When you're out on your own. Then it's up to you. But not right now. You obey your parents. Because even if you go ahead and you do that thing. In the end it will bring you grief. So why go there? And and just as a sidebar. Parents with teens in the house. Or teens soon to be in your house. If God doesn't look at the outward, but rather looks at the heart, what does that tell you about your parenting emphasis and where it must be placed? I feel for our daughters, young daughters who must grow up in a, in a culture that views them really as mostly sexual objects and only grants them worth and value if they look or dress a certain way. I feel for our young gals. And so mom and dad, help your daughter to find her worth and her value, not in the culture's identity of what's, what's valuable and beautiful, but the internal, the, the eternal, in the beautiful virtues of a Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those kinds of beautiful things. Celebrate that when you see that in your, in your daughter. Reward your children when you see that. Post picture, pictures of your kids doing that on Facebook. Talk it up. Dads, help your sons to, to understand what character-based beauty looks like and to desire that more than anything external and physical. And dads, be careful how you speak about women. And And, and Watch out what your sons see you looking at and your eyes lingering on because they're watching you. And and husbands, praise your wife and your daughters and your sons for their spiritual qualities more than for any of their physical attributes. And mom and dad, model Christian modesty so that your sons and daughters get to see what it looks like. And then pray a lot. (laughs) Right? Pray a lot. Another question. Am I giving in to peer pressure here? Doing anything out of a desire to please one's peers is always spiritually dangerous. Correct? Oh, man. If adorning yourself in an immodest way is how you get into a certain circle, then maybe that's not the circle you really want to be in. Am I substituting appearance for what matters most? What matters most? Godliness, right? Godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, Train yourselves for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness has value in every way. Imperishable beauty. That's what Peter was talking about. Could this become an obstacle to future ministry? Now, here's something we don't think about an awful lot. Could this external adornment keep me from ministering in some context that I can't even imagine in the moment. There are parts of the world where a Christian tattoo would be very offensive and in fact could be downright dangerous. And you might never even get to speak Jesus' name because of it. We're all ambassadors for Christ, right? Will this adornment promote or maybe hinder me from future gospel involvement? That's a great question. Could this thing I do to my body lead to irreparable harm? Body modification, it's a big deal. It's a billion-dollar industry. Body modifications that were gotten in order to be more attractive outwardly have been known to result in devastating physical consequences later on. When, when Jesus died for us, brothers and sisters, he didn't just die for our souls. He didn't just buy our souls with his blood. He bought our bodies as well. He redeemed those. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body, 2 Corinthians 6.20. And the last question. It's really the one that, that kind of brings everything together, and it's the one that we've been talking about all along the way. Who is really being promoted By this. By my choice of clothing, by my piercing, by my tattoo, my body sculpting, who's really being promoted? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Who's getting noticed, me or my God? Eight questions. To which more could no doubt be added that might help us to live our Christian modesty out in a more biblically balanced way. Now, my guess is that it has not escaped your notice that neither Peter nor I have supplied you with a list of what constitutes modest adornment. We Christians like lists. We love lists. Give me the list, Tim, for what is acceptable, modest Christian adornment. Just give me the hemline height. That's all I need. Just give me the neckline. How low can I go? How tight? How loose? How sheer? How shiny? How big the diamond. How expensive the jewelry. The permissible piercing locations. Just give me the list. The the acceptable tattoo graphics that I can look at. Just give me the list. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're not going to find a list like that anywhere in the Bible. It's never going to happen. Because Christian modesty is always going to be a matter of the heart. heart. Yes. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, that imperishable beauty which in God's sight is very, very precious. And that being true, then, church family, let's wrap it up with this. So what do we wear? What do we wear? Do you know the answer to that question? You do know the answer to the question. You just don't know, you know. What do we wear? Church family, we wear Jesus Christ. Yes? We wear Jesus. When he went to the cross for us, think about this. The Bible says he took took our sin and he wore it. He bore it. All the way to Calvary. And he experienced the wrath of God. As he wore your sin and my sin. Second Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was adorned in our sin. So that we might be adorned in his Righteousness. Ephesians four twenty two to 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God through, right, through true righteousness and holiness. And how do we get that? Through Jesus Christ. The ultimate solution to immodesty is not a checklist of rules. Wear this, don't wear that, do this, don't do that. The solution is a transformed heart through faith in Jesus. Putting on the new self that loves the thought of not being noticed so that God gets all the notice. So others might be compelled to say, why aren't you like everybody else? What do you have that I don't have? Tell me about that. Modest Christian men. Modest Christian women. Modest Christian teens. Clothed in the truth that Jesus alone saves. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Well, thank you, Heavenly Father. You've been so kind to us today. You have dealt with us tenderly and gently, but so truthfully and honestly. Oh, our plea today is that we would be hearers of your word and doers of your word today. Not driven by our culture's standards of beauty, but just driven out of a love for you to make you great driven by an internal beauty that you are making in us through our relationship with you, through Jesus. Make us beautiful to a world that doesn't understand what beauty really is. Make us beautiful in your eyes for your glory and for the good of others. We ask it in Jesus' strong name and all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Let's stand together, church.